Section 9 of The Science History of the Universe, Volume 8. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avayi in November 2020. The Science History of the Universe, Volume 8. Edited by Francis Rolt Wheeler. Part 1 Pure Mathematics. Chapter 5 geometry part one geometry is the science of space and is concerned with relations which exist between its various elements linear superficial and solid the earliest measurements were linear and for the unit was taken some portion of the human body for example finger breadth palm span foot l cubit and fathom but the body does not possess any convenient unit for the measurement of either surface or solid. The oldest geometrical work known uses the square unit for areas and the cubical unit for solids. How and when the choice of such units was made is difficult to say. The study of primitive races made possible the reconstruction of the steps in the formation of the number concept but such study is silent in regard to the beginnings of geometry. The word geometry, from the Greek meaning to measure the earth, has its origin, as is the case with most sciences, in the needs of the human being at some particular time, as is indicated by Herodotus, where he says that Sesostris, circa 1400 BC, divided the land of Egypt into rectangular plots for the purpose of more convenient taxation, that the annual floods, caused by the rising of the Nile, often swept away portions of a plot, and that surveyors were in such cases appointed to assess the necessary reduction in the tax. Hence, in my opinion, arose geometry, and so came into Greece. Ames gives a number of problems concerning the calculation of the contents of barns, but as the shapes are unknown, it is impossible to interpret them. As with his work in arithmetic, no rules are given, but a number of problems solved in a similar manner. The method used in finding the contents of a barn is to multiply together two of the dimensions, and this by one and one-half the third. He also finds the area of a square, of an oblong, of an isosceles triangle, and of an isosceles trapezoid, the latter two being incorrectly found. In the isosceles triangle, a triangle with two equal sides, Ames takes half the product of the base and one of the equal sides, and follows the analogous proceeding with the isosceles trapezoid. While the error is slight in the examples given, it is sufficient to show that the results were only empirical, and that Ames was unable to extract the square roots which are necessary in an exact solution. The area of a circle is found by deducting from the diameter its one-ninth and squaring the remainder, which gives the value of the ratio of the circumference to the diameter of a circle, usually indicated by pi, to be 3.1604, a value much more nearly correct than those used by many later writers. Another glimpse of Egyptian geometry is given by Democritus, 
circa 460 to 370 BC. In the construction of plain figures with proof, no one has yet surpassed me, not even the Harpedonoptae of Egypt. To Professor Cantor is due the credit of making clear the exact meaning of this word, which is a compound of two words meaning rope stretchers or rope fasteners. Cantor says, There is no doubt that the Egyptians were very careful about the exact orientation of their temples and other public buildings. But inscriptions seem to show that only the north and south lines were drawn by actual observation of the stars. The east and west lines were drawn at right angles to the others. Now it appears, from the practice of Heron of Alexandria and of the ancient Indian and probably also the Chinese geometers, that a common method of securing a right angle between two very long lines was to stretch round three pegs a rope measured in three portions, which were to one another in the ratio three to four to five. The triangle thus formed is right-angled. Further, the operation of rope stretching is mentioned in Egypt without explanation at an extremely early time, Amenemhat I. If this be the correct explanation of it, then the Egyptians were acquainted 2000 years BC with a particular case of the proposition now known as the Pythagorean theorem. Egyptian geometry, as well as the other sciences, was in the hands of the priestly caste, whose conservatism is illustrated by the fact that Egyptian doctors used only the recipes of the ancient sacred books for fear of being accused of manslaughter if the patient died. That no progress was made beyond that of Ames is borne out by the Edfu inscriptions of 107 to 88 BC, 200 years after Euclid, in which the formula given by Ames for the isosceles trapezoid is still given, but applied to any four-sided figure, a proceeding of which Ames himself would not have been guilty. That the early Greek geometers derived their first knowledge from the Egyptians is derived from many sources. Eudemus, circa 330, pupil of Aristotle, wrote a history of geometry in which occurs this passage. Geometry is said by many to have been invented among the Egyptians, its origin being due to the measurement of plots of land. This was necessary there because of the rising of the Nile, which obliterated the boundaries appertaining to separate owners. Nor is it marvellous that the discovery of this and other sciences should have arisen from such an occasion, since everything which moves in development will advance from the imperfect to the perfect. From mere sense-perception to calculation, and from this to reasoning, is a natural transition. The last step is the one taken by the Greeks. The Egyptian geometry was concrete, a thing of sense, and to Thales is due the honour of creating the beginnings of abstract geometry, a product of reason, the object of which is to establish precise relations between the parts of a figure, so that some of them could be found from others in a purely rigorous manner. Thales of Miletus, 640-546 to 546 BC, was a merchantman when his native city was in its most flourishing condition, and resided for a long period in Egypt, 
from whence he returned to his native city in his old age bringing with him the knowledge of geometry and astronomy tradition informs us that he was one of the first gifted with the acumen to form a trust learning from the stars that the crop of olives would be abundant during a certain year thales secured control of all of the oil presses and in the following fall made a large profit through his foresightedness aristotle he announced beforehand an eclipse of the sun which happened may twenty eighth five hundred eighty five b c during a battle between the medes and lydians and to this fact is attributed his inclusion in the ranks of the seven wise men for as plutarch says he apparently was the only one of these whose wisdom stepped in speculation beyond the limits of practical utility the rest acquired the name of wisdom in politics in a conversation concerning amasis king of egypt between niloxenus and thales given by plutarch the former says although he amasis admired you thales for other things yet he particularly liked the manner by which you measured the height of the pyramid without any trouble or instrument for by merely placing a staff at the extremity of the shadow which the pyramid casts you formed two triangles by the contact of the sunbeams and showed that the height of the pyramid was to the height of the staff in the same ratio as their respective shadows from proclus it is learned that thales devised a method of determining the distance of ships at sea by a theorem which is now known as euclid one twenty six pythagoras concerning whose life there is a great deal of obscurity was probably induced by thales to visit egypt when a young man where he lived many years afterward visiting crete and tyre and perhaps babylon returning to samos his home he found it under the tyranny of polycrates and migrated to italy where he lived and taught for more than twenty years his brotherhood falling under suspicion owing to its secrecy pythagoras fled to metapontum where it is supposed he was murdered in a popular outbreak about five hundred b c to pythagoras who raised geometry to the rank of a science are many of the most important theorems he is said to have introduced weights and measures among the greeks to have discovered the numerical relations of the musical scale to have proved the theorem of squares on the sides of a right triangle to have discovered that the plane around a point is filled by six equilateral triangles four squares or three hexagons to have found the construction of a figure upon a line which is similar to a given figure and equivalent to a second given figure the word mathematics is due to the pythagorean school and to them is attributed the division of a line into extreme and mean ratio called the golden section so that the whole line is to the greater segment as this segment is to the lesser from which construction is derived that of the inscription in a circle of the regular five and ten-sided polygons proclus says that pythagoras discovered the construction of the cosmic figures the five bodies in the sphere concerning one of which iamblichus says 
that hippasus was drowned for the impiety of claiming its discovery whereas the whole was his discovery for it is thus they speak of pythagoras and they do not call him by his name the five regular solids were alternately compared by the pythagoreans with the five worlds and with the five senses of man kepler led astray by the speculations of the philosophers conjectured that they were in some way connected with the orbits of the five worlds he accordingly arranged the five solids in order each inscribed in a sphere which in turn was inscribed in the next figure and with the sun at the centre the surfaces of the spheres carried the orbits of the planes he found the ratio of the distances to be remarkably near the ratio of the actual distances from the sun he made known his remarkable pseudo-discovery in the Mysterium Cosmographicum, 1596, which had at least one beneficial effect in that it brought him to the notice of Galileo and Tycho Brahe, and opened the way for the future true discoveries which have placed his name in the galaxy of the immortals. Plutarch, in relating the discovery of the construction of a figure similar to one and equivalent to another, says that Pythagoras offered a sacrifice in thanksgiving, thinking it finer and more elegant than the other concerning the squares on the sides of a right triangle. Pythagoras thought that the distances of the heavenly bodies from the earth formed a musical progression, from which comes the expression the harmony of the spheres the pythagorean theorem that the square described on the hypotenuse of a right triangle is equivalent to the sum of the two squares described on the sides is the most famous theorem of geometry it is said that over a thousand distinct proofs have been offered for it the proof given by pythagoras has never been found he probably was led to the investigation of the figure from the observation of the special case which is common in flooring with square tiles as in the figure the egyptians were familiar with the right angle property of the particular triangle with sides three four five within the last few years it has not only been shown that the hindus were familiar with the pythagorean theorem in all its generality and the theory of the irrational long before the time of pythagoras but burke goes so far as to assert that the much-travelled pythagoras obtained his knowledge from india the proof given in the school text of to-day is the classic one given by euclid with notwithstanding the strictures of schopenhauer as a mouse-trap proof and a proof walking on stilts nay a mean underhand proof is one of the most beautiful ever offered one of the most celebrated forms of proof is known as perigal's dissection in which the squares are so cut that h plus p plus r plus l plus e in the figure may be arranged to form the large square another form of dissection is given in the second figure in the shape of a puzzle in which the parts a b c d e are to be cut out and arranged so as to exactly cover the large square this theorem is the limiting case between two theorems which may be stated together the square on the side opposite an acute obtuse angle 
is equal to the sum of the squares on the other two sides diminished increased by twice the rectangle of one of those sides and the projection of the other upon it the figure of the pythagorean theorem was called by the persians the princess and the other two figures were the sisters of the princess the figure of one of these cases is here given which corresponds to the figure given by euclid for the pythagorean theorem in the accompanying figure if the triangle in question is abc ab is the side opposite the acute angle bca ce is the projection of ca upon cb if ca is allowed to revolve about point c to the position ca double prime a double prime b will have become a side opposite an obtuse greater than a right angle but in the turning it passes through the condition of perpendicularity ca prime and the right triangle ca prime b is the boundary between the two cases when this condition occurs the projection ce is zero and the pythagorean theorem results the three cases are stated in a single law in trigonometry called the law of cosines which in turn is but one case of a general law in spherical plane and pseudospherical geometry the third century bc produced the three greatest mathematicians of antiquity euclid archimedes and apollonius of which the earliest was euclid very little is known of his life proclus gives this account on him not much younger than these hermotimus and philippus is euclid who put together the elements collecting many of eudox's theorems perfecting many of theatetus and also bringing to irrefragable demonstration the things which were only somewhat loosely proved by his predecessors this man lived in the time of the first ptolemy for archimedes who came immediately after the first ptolemy makes mention of euclid and further they say that ptolemy once asked him if there was in geometry any shorter way than that of the elements and he answered that there was no royal road to geometry he is younger than the pupils of plato but older than erastosthenes and archimedes for the latter were contemporary with one another as erastosthenes somewhere says that euclid founded a school at alexandria is known from this passage from pappus apollonius spent a very long time with the pupils of euclid at alexandria and it was thus that he acquired such a scientific habit of thought stobaeus relates that someone who had begun to read geometry with euclid when he had learned the first theorem asked euclid but what shall i get by learning these things euclid called his slave and said give him threepence since he must make gain out of what he learns the importance of euclid's elements was recognized by the greek philosophers who posted on the doors of their schools let no one enter here who is unacquainted with euclid the purpose of the elements is to begin with a few common notions which are statements assumed to be evident to any reasoning being and together with five assumptions from these 
build step by step a complete chain of theorems. That he succeeded is evidenced by the following passage from Brill. Whatever has been said in praise of mathematics, of the strength, perspicuity, and rigor of its presentation, all is especially true of this work of the great Alexandrian. Definitions, axioms, and conclusions are joined together link by link as into a chain, firm and inflexible, of binding force, but also cold and hard, repellent to a productive mind and affording no room for independent activity. A ripened understanding is needed to appreciate the classic beauties of this great monument of Greek ingenuity. It is not the arena for the youth eager for enterprise. To captivate him, a field of action is better suited, where he may hope to discover something new, unexpected. The work of Euclid was so perfect that it has remained for two thousand years the model from which textbooks in elementary geometry have been written. It is safe to say that it is the greatest work that a single human mind has ever produced. The Elements was divided into thirteen books, best known today through three translators, Simpson, Heiberg, and T. L. Heath. The latter work appeared in 1908, and is of immense value in the realization of the great geometer's work. Euclid defines a point as that which has no part, a line as breadthless length, and a straight line as a line which lies evenly with the points on itself. Five postulates and five common notions form the foundation upon which the superstructure is built. The following are granted. 1. That a straight line may be drawn from any point to any point. 2. That a finite straight line may be produced continuously in a finite straight line. 3. That a circle may be drawn with any center and any radius. 4. That all right angles are equal to one another. 5. That if a straight line falling on two straight lines make the interior angles on the same side less than two right angles, the two straight lines, if produced indefinitely, meet on that side on which are the angles less than the two right angles. It will be noticed that the plane geometry is built on three elements, the point, the straight line, and the circle. This may be put otherwise. The three are only the circle and its two limiting forms, the point being the circle when its radius has become zero, and the straight line the form when the radius of the circle has increased to infinity. These three elements limit Euclidean geometry to two instruments, the undivided straight edge and the compass. Euclid assumes that the circle may be drawn, but the straight line has been drawn. It is a significant fact that it was not until 1864 that an instrument was invented by Pocillier by which a straight line could be drawn by mechanical means. Postulate 2 implies that space is continuous, not discrete, and also assumes its infinitude. The five common notions are 1. Things which are equal to the same thing are equal to each other. 2. If equals be added to equals, 
the sums are equal. 3. If equals be subtracted from equals, the remainders are equal. 4. Things which coincide with one another are equal to one another. 5. The whole is greater than any part. Common notion 4 implies the free mobility of rigid bodies in space. Bertrand Russell says, what is called motion in geometry is merely the transference of attention from one figure to another, and actual superposition nominally employed by Euclid is not required. Common notion 5 separates the finite from the infinite. The modern definition of an infinite element is that which is equal to a part of itself. According to Proclus, every problem and every theorem which is complete, with all its parts perfect, purports to contain in itself all of the following elements, enunciation, setting out, definition or specification, construction or machinery, proof and conclusion. The enunciation states what is given and what is sought. The setting out marks off what is given beforehand and adapts it to the investigation. The definition makes clear the particular thing sought. The construction adds what is needed for the purpose of finding out what is sought. The proof draws the required inference by reasoning scientifically from acknowledged facts. The conclusion reverts again to the enunciation, confirming what has been demonstrated. The fifth proposition of Book One, asserting the equality of the base angles of an isosceles triangle, has been called the pons asinorum, or bridge of asses, the inference being that if the youth had ability to master this theorem, his future career in geometry was assured. An important set of theorems in Book One is concerned with the conditions of equality of triangles, which may be stated as follows. 1. Two triangles are equal if the three sides of one are respectively equal to the three sides of the other. 2. Two triangles are equal if two sides and the included angle of one are respectively equal to the corresponding parts of the other. 2. Prime. Two triangles are equal when a side and the two adjacent angles are equal, respectively to the corresponding parts of the other. 3. Two triangles are equal when two sides and an angle opposite one of them are equal, respectively to the corresponding parts of the other, containing, however, an ambiguous case. 3. Prime. Two triangles are equal when two angles and a side opposite one of them are equal, respectively to the corresponding parts of the other. It will be noticed that these are arranged in pairs, with the exception of one, which would be paired with the theorem stating the equality of the triangles, provided the corresponding angles are equal, which is not necessarily true in plane geometry. The primed number of each pair may be gotten from the unprimed by changing side to angle and vice versa. A side is determined by the two end points, and an angle by the two including lines, 
the point and line being the two limiting cases, one on either side of the circle. Such a property of certain theorems is called reciprocity or duality, and enables one to think of such a theorem as a theorem in points or a theorem in lines as well. This statement well illustrates duality. Two points, lines, determine a line, point. In the triangle theorems, the breaking down of reciprocity in one is due to the fact that the three angles of a triangle are not independent, as is the case in sphere geometry. If two are given, the third may be found by subtracting the sum of the two from two right angles. Three elements, a majority of the five which may be independent, are required for the determination of a triangle. End of section 9